0: good morning and welcome to Redemption Parker online. We're so glad you joined us virtually in your pajamas, with your coffee, around your TV, in your living room, wherever uh, life finds you right now. Thank you for taking the time to join us. We so look forward to the day where we get to gather once again as God's people face to face. But in the meantime, we're going to press into the moment God has for us. We're going to press in and and, and believe that God is doing a work in us and through us in this moment, maybe more than He has ever done in our lives before. And so thank you for joining us. You know, I was thinking uh, about real estate this week, and uh, I was thinking about how in 2006, at the beginning of 2006, in the U.S. and globally, uh, prices had reached an all-time high. I mean, there was a fervency uh, to get invested in real estate. And so there was a kind of that was driving up the prices and, and there was low interest rates and, and some deregulation and, and quite frankly, some shady business practices by the banks that were just loaning out all this money. And it seemed like anybody could get a loan and invest. And it seemed like a, a sure deal, like this is the way to make money. Well, the economy began to slow down in the second half of 2006, and the dominoes began to fall. People started to have a a difficult time paying off the investments and getting renters or or paying off their own mortgage. And so defaults started to happen. And then they started to flood in. And that put pressure on the global economy. That put pressure on the stock market, which put pressure on businesses. And and one thing led to another. All the dominoes fell. And by 2008, we were in a full-on recession. People had lost jobs. um, banks were, were going under and being bailed out. I, I mean, it was bad. And it continued to get bad so that at the, in 2012, the prices hit, hit rock bottom. And I remember reading an article in the Wall Street Journal at that time uh, that said, this could be an opportunity of a lifetime to invest in a house or real estate. And at least in this point in history right now, that seems to be true. That was, in fact, the bottom. But the problem was, and the problem for us is, that in that moment, no one knew. No one knew if 2012 was the bottom or 2013 or 2014. It was uh, an article that was right, but it was still speculation. As it turns out, as humans, we are terrible at predicting the future. We like to think and believe that we know what's going to happen tomorrow, but we don't. I mean, who knew a month ago today that this is where we'd be at today? A month ago tomorrow was my 21st anniversary. Uh, We celebrated. We went out to a restaurant and sat down and ate. And it feels like a year ago with all the changes that we've been going through. But what if, what if you could go back in time? What if you could travel to 2006? What if you found a DeLorean and a flux capacitor and you got that baby up to 88 miles per hour and you're off? I realized I just made a cultural reference to a uh, a particular demographic. Our younger demographic isn't going to get that one, but hey, you've got time at home. If it's appropriate for you and your family, watch those movies. That's free for you this morning. But what if you could go back? I mean, what would you say to yourself in 2006? What encouragement would you give? What advice? What insight? What warnings would you give to yourself? I mean, if we had a view of the future, we would, we would react appropriately, right? But what if you knew for sure? Like you don't have a time machine, but, but what if you knew for sure things were going to get bad, not, and not just bad, very, very, very bad? What would you do? Well, I would guess you wouldn't be investing in real estate. I would guess you'd be investing in toilet paper and rice and beans and, and maybe guns. And um, after all, that, that's what we have been doing over the last month, right? I mean, not the guns part for me, but maybe for you. Now, if things looked bad, you would not be looking to make a long-term investment, probably. Which makes Jeremiah 32 so peculiar, if you have your Bible, turn to Jeremiah 32. That's where we're going to be at today. In Jeremiah 32, your chapter title might, might read, Jeremiah buys a field. And so in Jeremiah 32, it's a long passage, but I'm not going to read it all. I'll summarize a lot of it, but you should read it on your own time here. But, but let me just set the scene for you a little bit. In Jeremiah 32, his cousin, Jeremiah's cousin, Hanunmel, comes to him and says, Hey, Jeremiah, I want, you, I want to sell you my field. And he buys it. Now, this is problematic on several levels. First of all, uh, Jeremiah w- w- never gets to see the field. I mean, if you're going to invest in, in something as big as real estate or a field or property, don't you think you'd want to see it? He, he doesn't know if the soil's good. He doesn't know if there's any fruit trees that he could get from there. He doesn't know if it's near a well. At least if it was near a well, maybe then it would be worth some property. He doesn't know if there's water nearby. He knows, as far as we can tell, nothing about this field. So that's the first problem. Second one is, even if he knew about the field, even if he had seen the field, he's not a farmer. He's not a shepherd. He he doesn't know if it's grassland. He's not a business developer. He doesn't have plans for a strip mall or, or a restaurant or a theme park. Like, that's not Jeremiah. He's a prophet of God. That's it. And that's his specialty. So, so that's a problem. But, but there's another problem. Even if, if he can't go see the field, no one goes and sees the field because they're all at a, under a stay at home order. It's true. Uh, Jeremiah is in a stay-at-home order because he's in jail. He's actually in the uh, kind of a house arrest in the King uh, Zedekiah's courts. And the reason he's in jail is because as a prophet of God, at this point in history, God has sent him like many, many other prophets throughout the centuries to call his people back to him. To call the people of God to turn to God, to repent of their sin, and to uh, live life in light of who God is and who God says they are. But they haven't in every conceivable way. They've turned their back on God for generation, for generation, for generation. And so like other prophets, God sends Jeremiah to warn the people. Listen, if you don't turn back, destruction Wrath is coming on you. The, the, the Babylonians are going to destroy us. And, and he says it to all the people. And he says it to King Zedekiah. And Zedekiah wants nothing to do with it. And so he, uh, he arrests him and, and, and puts him in the, the palace courts. And then he gets other prophets, false prophets, to surround him and say, tell him what he wants to hear. Oh, Zedekiah, don't worry about it. God's for us and not against us. Don't worry about it. Everything will be fine. Don't worry about it. And so there's a stay-at-home order for Jeremiah, but at this point in history, there's a stay-at-home order for the whole city. The Babylonians have come. They have destroyed all of the surrounding villages and towns, and the army is encamped outside the walls of Jerusalem, poised to destroy it, burn it, pillage it, all those things. And so no one can go out and see the field. It's in this context where Jeremiah's cousin comes to him and says, Hey, Jeremiah, I'd like to uh, sell you a field. And if you, know any, if you don't know anything else about the story, you're thinking, worst investment ever. You want to sell me a field when, when the enemy is, is literally outside the gates and we are all doomed? Jeremiah buys the field. He gets witnesses. He signs the deed. He, he puts it in a j- jar of clay, and we we're left scratching our head, but we're we're wondering why he bought the field. Well, verse seven tell us wh- tells us why he bought the field verse 7, the Lord speaks to Jeremiah and says, behold, Hanamel, the son of Shalom, your uncle, will come to you and say, buy my field that is at Ananathoth, for the right of redemption by purchase is yours. And God goes on to say, Jeremiah, I want you to buy that field. I want you to buy that field. In the midst of all that, that is coming, I want you to make a long-term investment. Jeremiah, I want, to, I want you to put your money where your mouth is. I've always called my people to trust me and to obey me, even when days are dark. See, at different stages in our lives, and different seasons, different things about God are hard to believe for us. So, for example, when, when everything is going well, For the most part, for most of us, a a month ago, for example, when the economy's booming, when, when we're healthy, when we're safe, comfortable, and secure, one of the things that is hard to believe about God is that He is a God who is absolutely holy and cannot stand sin, cannot stand oppression, cannot stand injustice, and that in His holiness, He punishes sin. That's hard for us to believe when life seems to be going well. And even those areas of our lives that aren't necessarily lined up with God's will, it it doesn't seem to have any effect. And so we just think, well, God obviously doesn't care that much about it. And in in our culture, we kind of just told each other, you know, the only sin that God really would care about is the sin of you not being true to yourself. So it's hard to believe in times that are good that God is holy and that he is just and that he cares about sin. But then there's other times when life brings pain and and suffering and and brokenness and loss and and all the things that that, that we experience in this life. And usually we experience them uh, in our own season. but, But now globally, in a sense, we are experiencing this together. And the thing that's hard to believe about God in those moments is that God is for us. I think those are the break the the make or break moments in life. When everything has crumbled around you, when, when everything's been stripped from you, in that moment, it's going to either push you toward God or away from God. It's either going to make you say, man, I've lost so much. And so what little I have left, I've got to grip tightly on and I cannot let go. I cannot let go of, of the few things that remain in my life. And I'm going to just, whatever it takes, hold tightly to those. That's, that's one reaction we could have. The other reaction is just to say to God, Lord, I, I don't know. I don't know what you're doing. And in fact, what, what, what I see you doing, I, I don't like, Lord. But I'm not going to walk by sight. I'm going to walk by faith. And I'm going to believe that you are good and you are for me and not against me. That is one of the most difficult truths to wrap our hearts and our minds around, and it's the truth that God wants for us, and he wants for you, and he wants for me, and and throughout all generations, God is is, is inviting us to trust him, to say he is who he says he is, and he will do all that he promises he, he will do, so even when life crumbles around us, we walk by faith. This is why he has Jeremiah by a field in the midst of calamity, and I believe God wants us to buy a field in this moment. Not, not in the moment when everything is, is about to get better and everything's, we're all about to go back to school and work and restaurants and church. No, in this moment, God wants to prepare our hearts and to buy a field as, a, as an act of saying, God, I trust you. Now, I'm not talking about buying a literal field, but for you, that there is something in your life, there is some way of of just saying, right now, I'm going to order my life and order my priorities and reorder what I've been living for in such a way that it looks like I'm buying a field at the worst possible time, craziness to the world, but I'm going to walk by faith and not by sight in this moment. This is what Jeremiah 32 is all about. So God calls Jeremiah to buy this field. Now, Jeremiah, after he does the whole thing and gets it all signed and does all the witnesses and gets the deeds, uh, he he has a conversation with God. He prays. And that's where we'll pick it up in verse 16. It says, after I've given the deed of purchase to Baruch, the son of Neriah, I prayed to the Lord saying, ah, Lord God. It is you who have made the heavens and the earth by your great power and by your outstretched arm. Nothing is too hard for you. So, so Jeremiah is doing what we should all do in this moment. He is, he he remembers the truth. He's reminding himself of what's true about God and what he knows about God. He's like, God, I know you're omnipotent. I know you're omniscient. There's nothing too hard for you. And that's right. Jeremiah and you and I should regularly do that. But he goes on and and he remembers God's faithfulness. And in many ways throughout the the Bible, both Old Testament and New Testament, he's reciting the the things that God has done in history for him and for God's people. And so we see him reciting about how God brought them them up out of Egypt and God provided the land and God uh, brought them into a land flowing with milk and honey. So he's remembering God's faithfulness, but he's also recognizing the holiness of God. Look at verse 23. He begins to recount the ways that the people have sinned and how their sin, because God is holy, deserves God's righteous, justified wrath. He says how they rebelled, look at verse 23, and they entered the land and took possession of it, but they did not obey your voice or walk in your law. They did nothing of all you commanded them to do. Therefore, you have made all this disaster come upon us. And so Jeremiah is just acknowledging you are holy and what you do is right. So he recognizes God's holiness. And then when he uh, concludes his his prayer, he says this, verse 25, Yet you, O Lord God, have said to me, buy the field for money and get witnesses, though the city is given into the hands of the Chaldeans. In your Bible, it probably ends with a period there, but it probably should end with a question mark. Do you hear it in in his voice? It's like, Lord, I know you're all powerful. I know you've been faithful in the past. I know your holiness demands righteousness, but I'm confused. Why in the world would you have me buy this land now? And we've already said God is doing in Jeremiah what he wants to do in us. He wants us to lift our eyes and have God's long view of history and eternity and live like God is all powerful. God is holy and God is for us. And so God answers Jeremiah and and, and in his answer, he says a few things. He says, the the word of the Lord came to me. Behold, I am the Lord, the God of all flesh. And he echoes Jeremiah's prayer. Is anything too hard for me? Jeremiah had said, no, no. Therefore, thus says the Lord, behold, I'm giving this city into the hands of the Chaldeans. And God does begin to recount the sins of his people and the wickedness of his people. After generation, after generation, they would bow down to foreign gods. They would they would uh, oppress the poor and they would uh, not give justice to the weak and the powerless. And, And in every way, God is saying they have violated my law. But, but it gets really bad towards the end. Verse 33, they have turned to me their back and not their face. And though I have taught them persistently, they have not listened to receive instruction. They set up their abominations in the house that is called by my name to defile it. So they would bring their their foreign gods, their their little crafted gods into the, the house of God, the temple of God. And they would worship God and they would worship their idols. And this was an abomination to God. But it gets worse. Verse 35. They built the high places of Baal in the valley of the son of Hinnom to offer up their sons and daughters to Molech. This was the height of the, the abomination. So, so the valley of the son of Hinnom, that the, they would uh, craft this, this God Molech. And it was a bronze statue and its hands would, would stick out and they would, they would light a fire around the statue. And the, the statue, the metal, would get white hot. And as a sacrifice to the god Melech, they would take their sons and daughters. The people of God would take their children and they would go to this place where they've fired up the the statue and the statue is white hot and they would take their infants and they would take their young children and they would set them naked on the hands of the God and they would burn their children to death. This was wickedness. This was an abomination. See, there are difficult things to believe about God. One of them is to believe that God is omniscient and omnipotent and to look around at the world and be like, God, if you are omniscient and omnipotent, why is this happening? But that's not the most difficult thing. We can come to a realization that this world is in fact fallen and broken and and God is still at work in the brokenness. And so that's not the most difficult thing for most of us. For some of us, it's difficult to to imagine a God who is who is righteous and holy and just and he punishes sin. But but when we hear about uh, the, the people and their sins and we hear about what they did to their own children, we 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 something in us cries out. Yes, Lord, they deserve your righteous condemnation. So that's not the most difficult. The most difficult thing to believe about God is in the next portion of it. So God has Recited what was going to happen. God has recited why He's He's going to act in this moment. In verse thirty-six, God says, "Now, therefore, thus says the Lord: Now, therefore, in light of all that we just talked about, in light of all the wickedness of the people, now, therefore, what would you expect in that place? You would. I would expect. Now, therefore, says the Lord, I'm I'm done." I'm not going to do anything with these people. I'm finished with them. Their wickedness is too great. That's what I would expect, but that's not what the Lord says. Now, therefore, thus says the Lord, the God of Israel concerning this city of which you say it is given into the hand of the king of Babylon by sword, by famine and by pestilence. Verse 37, Behold, I will gather them from all the countries to which I drove them in my anger and in my wrath and great indignation. This is just uh, that that God is going to uh, have the people go into captivity for 70 years, but God has a plan to bring them back to this very land where God is speaking to Jeremiah. Thus, we see the reason for Jeremiah buying the field. I've got a long-term plan for these people. It's not to destroy them, but to ultimately to do good for them. It says, and I will make them dwell in safety and they shall be my people and I will be their God. That's the promise of God to his, to his people throughout the Bible. They shall be my people. I will be their God. Verse 39, I will give them one heart and one way that they may fear me forever for their own good and for the good of their children after them. He's going to give us a new heart elsewhere, Jeremiah will say, and Ezekiel will say. Verse 40, I will make with them an everlasting covenant that I will not turn away from doing good to them. And I will put the fear of me in their hearts that they may not turn from me. This is an unbelievable truth, and it's hard for us to believe. God has a plan to do good for his people. God has a plan in whatever he does, whatever's happening in the world, to do ultimately good for his people. And he says it's going to be in the form of an everlasting covenant. Now, all the other covenants, the people never carried, never, never carried their side of the covenant. They always broke the covenant. And so, so what's going to be different in this moment? How is it going to be an everlasting covenant? Well, we talk about it every week. On the night Jesus was betrayed, he gathered his disciples in the upper room. After, breaking, after giving thanks, he broke bread. After the supper, he took the cup and he said, This is the cup of the eternal covenant, which is my blood poured out for the forgiveness of sins. Jesus' blood seals us in the eternal covenant. And by grace, through faith, we come into that covenant. We are covered by his blood and and Jesus' righteousness is credited to our account. And on the cross, our sin is taken away and he bears it in our place so that Verse 41, I will rejoice in doing them good. This is the hardest truth for believers in times of darkness to believe that God is for you and everything He does. 100% of what He does, if you are in Christ by grace through faith, if you've turned from your sin and you are a follower of Christ, 100% of what God does is for your eternal good. It's not to punish you. Is not to uh, get a little bit more out of of you. No, Jesus paid it all. God is just. And since Jesus took the full weight of our sin, he is not going to charge us a second time. Everything God does is for your good. And listen to what he says. I will rejoice in doing them good. Not only does God do us good, but he is delighted. He, He celebrates. He rejoices to be good to us. That's the truth that God had for Jeremiah in the darkest of days. It's a truth hard for us to comprehend. Reminds me of Charles Spurgeon. Spurgeon once said this believer, you are happy when God blesses you, but not as happy as God is. You are glad when you are pardoned, but he who pardons you is more glad. The prodigal son going back to his home was very happy to see his father but not as delighted as his father was to see him. The father's heart was more full of joy because his heart was larger than his sons. See, I think for a lot of us, even as believers, we think, "Yes, God is for us," but but I still mess up, and so there, there's he's ninety percent for us, but there's this ten percent, and sometimes that's why that's why it seems like he's punishing me. No. No. Remember Paul's words to the Romans, Romans 8 32. He who did not spare his own son, but delivered him over for us all. How will he not also with him graciously give us all things? So God is helping Jeremiah see from an eternal perspective, Jeremiah by the field, by the field, get prepared, get prepared to act in faith that I am a God that is for you and not against you. And my long-term plan is ultimately for my glory and for your joy. That was true for Jeremiah. And that's true for everyone that is in Christ today. God delights in doing us good. Oh, that we would wrap our hearts around this truth. This is what we need in this moment. God's desire for us is to walk by faith and not by sight. He, he wants us to buy a field. He wants us to say, God, we believe that in spite of our circumstances, in spite of uh, all that's going on in our world, you are faithful and you delight to do us good. And so we buy the field. I don't, I don't know what your field is, but, but I hope that in this moment of stay at home or wherever you're at or lost or suffering, that that this would be a moment to lift your eyes once again, and I'll say it every week, and to behold your God. And God is saying, I want you to put your money where your mouth is. I want you to realign your life and your priorities. I want you to buy that field. So it may be uh, for you. You've thought about it for many, many years, but now is the time to begin to fill out the paperwork to pursue that adoption or foster care. It may be that you've thought, oh, someday I'll I'll, I'll go and and, and serve. Someday I'll go back to school. Someday I'll I'll go to the nations and and make Jesus famous among all the peoples of the earth. But first, I want to make a lot of money and I want to do this thing. And, And as God is stripping that away from you, God is saying, I want you to buy the field. I want you to prepare now like I am going to be faithful forever. I don't know what it looks for you. But but I believe God is calling us and God is calling his people to prepare now for the time where his faithfulness is showered out on the earth once again, in tangible ways. We, we, we need to prepare ourselves now so that when this crisis passes, and by all accounts, it's going to pass, but we don't know. But when this crisis passes, that his church is positioned in a different way than they were before the crisis positioned with hearts that are fuller of his love positioned with faith that is bigger than it was before positioned with, with, with priorities and values that are his priorities and values and no longer ours. This is what it means to buy the field. It it would be a tragedy for any of us individually or for the church collectively or across the globe to go through this pandemic, to even for, for us to, to get the sickness, and to get really, really sick and, and to maybe even go to the hospital, the emergency room and get the ventilator and, and get through that. It would be a tragedy in this world to go through all that, to get help, healthy once again and to live like it never happened. It would be a tragedy for someone to go through all that, not knowing Jesus, surviving COVID-19 and then spending the rest of eternity not knowing Jesus. That would be a tragedy. And so God is calling his church in this moment to be salt and light, to buy a field, to say that God is faithful. God is for us and not against us. So church, let us be a people that buys the field. To that end, let me pray for us. Father, thank you for your word to us this morning. Thank you for your church Blood bought. I thank you for the promise that in spite of ourselves, you have brought us into an everlasting covenant and you will hold us fast. Our hope is in you, our security is in you. Lord, I pray that in these moments, whether it be weeks or months or maybe even years that we go through this circumstance, Lord, our faith would grow, that we would believe the truth that what you're doing is for our good and for your glory. Be with us now this week in ways that we walk in faith with you. We ask in Jesus' name. Amen.